We are in a series called Dangerous Faith. Turn to that person next to you and say, Dangerous Faith. Oh, you can do better than that. Say, Dangerous Faith. And uh, this, this series has so marked me. And, um, and just the teaching on dangerous faith, uh, faith uh, when I opened up the first part Pastor Jonathan had last week, but um, I just was marked. Um, I, last year, I was just going through some things. I was struggling to have faith in a particular area, and I was just uh, listening to some, some great ministers that I trust and uh, came across um, uh, you, you know, uh, this amazing teaching on faith, and I just was so in, enthralled with it, and I told everybody, I said, listen, uh, we're going to do some of that. We're going to steal as much as we can, and, uh, and, and so we did, and it's just been magnificent, and, um, and I hope that it's helping you. Um, when we started, let me review for a second, we started with, first week was, what is faith? And we just went through Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is this, heroes of the faith. It's the scripture starts listening. Abraham did this, and Noah did this, and, and, and Rahab did this. And it's just amazing. We learned some pieces of what faith is. And this series, my goal in this series is to prod, stretch, beat on, work out, all those things that keep you from being men and women with dangerous faith. I want to see you heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils. I want to see you overcome insecurities. I don't want you to live in fear of what's going to happen financially or politically or all this other stuff. I want you to be men and women of faith because the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so we've got to stretch it. I'm put, I am prodding on myself. I am, I am on my face going, Lord, I repent because I'm supposed to be the pastor and I lack faith here and here and I need your strength here. So together, can we grow in our faith? Say yes. Amen. And so then last week, second week, man, they, we really jumped into expecting faith and uh, faith that, you know, believes for big things. We looked at David and Goliath and those kind of pieces. And so today, we're actually calling today's part three active Activating uh, the eyes of my heart. Activating the eyes of my heart. Before I was ever born, Dr. Martin Luther King gave a speech. It was considered one of the top five speeches ever spoken in the United States of America. I was not alive at the time. Years later, as a little boy, probably around 10 or so, for whatever reason, they put him and his speech on television. Years before I was born. Now here I am about 10 years old, and he begins to speak. And he talks about the injustice that African Americans were still under. And he comes to a line where he begins to speak about what he dreamed about. And actually, it's recorded that his friend, his cousin, as he was giving the speech there on the for, in, front of, you know, in front of all those thousands and tens of thousands of people, that she was behind him yelling, Tell him the dream, Martin. Tell him the dream. He hadn't planned on, he had already spoken about what he saw in other speeches, but he didn't plan on doing it there. And he moved into, I have a dream. He started talking about what he could see that obviously others could not see. And as a little boy watching this on TV, when he got to the line that I have a dream, the little black boys and little black girls would be able to one day hold hands with little white boys and little white girls in the sea of unity. When he said that, as a little boy, I saw it. I saw it. Saw it. We lived in a multiracial environment, but I saw it. It got down in me. And I want you to know that I see what God wants to do 
in our nation. See, I see, I see those little black boys and little black girls and little white boys and little white girls along with Hispanic boys and girls and Asian boys and girls, not just holding hands, but laying hands on each other, praying for healing and praying for deliverance. See, see I see a church, I see a church that's unified not by race or by color or by political opinion, but by the love of the saving Lord Jesus Christ. I see, I, I see young and old gathering together in coffee shops and, and in living rooms and in third spaces all around the Metroplex, sitting there with each other, sharing their faith and, and, and broadening their love for Jesus and for one another. I see those gatherings. As, as Christians gather, provoking the lost and the hurting to such a place of jealousy that they say, I want this God that I hear you talking about and living for. I, I, I see ordinary Christians waking up one day and say, I don't want to be ordinary anymore. I see ordinary Christians doing supernatural things for God as they begin to minister, praying, to their, praying for their coworkers and friends and relatives and seeing miraculous results. I see a church up on a hill. I see a church where the light shines so bright that those in the depths, in the pits of darkness can find their way out and say, wait, that direction. And then I see Christians climbing that hill daily where they lay down their burdens, their sins, their worldly desires, their brokenness at the foot of the old rugged cross and declare, my life is not my own. I see small groups turning into networks of relationships of warriors who rise up and they so affect their local communities that we got to put a stake in the ground and call it a campus. I, I, I see our children and our grandchildren with holy pride swelling in their, in their chest, crying out and boldly declaring, that's my church and I'm willing to give my life to it. I see in a generation raising up right here in our midst who don't look at what everyone else is looking at as valuable to say the cause of Christ is what I want to give myself to. I see men and women sitting here in front of me that will come alongside of that vision and say, I'm in it. Let's do it together. When Dr. King declared that little white boys and little white girls and little, and little black boys and little black girls would come together in unity, I saw it. I saw it. It marked me. I could see it. It opened up, if you will, the eyes of my heart. And then his last speech, just hours before he was killed, he said, I, I've been up on the mountain. He said, I've been up on the mountain, and I've seen. I may not get to go there with you. So he said it. He said, but I've seen the glory of the Lord. I may not see all the campuses planted across the metroplex in the world in my lifetime. But just like Dr. King spoke out, just like he spoke out, what he could see, what he saw got in me, and he wasn't even alive. And when I saw it, I said, I want a church that looks like that. I want to be a part of something that moves like that. And I saw even more into what God wants to do in the earth. And I believe there are young people and people in this congregation that will see even more and take it even further, and that we all get to say we were a part of something supernatural and something great. Oh God, open the eyes of our heart. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 18 says it like this. I pray also that the eyes 
of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. See, friend, this is dangerous faith. When you and I get the eyes of our heart enlightened, when uh, the eyes of our heart, and, and the Bible uses that verbiage, to, to, it's really describing our imagination, our, 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 that place where we can dream outside of our own human ability, that place where we can see what others can't see, to imagine what others can't imagine anymore. See, what's happened to us as we get older is we lose our imagination. Go sit with some two-year-olds and you'll see imagination again. But the things of life have broken that off of us and we don't see anymore. And so we need seers again. We need faith again. And, and faith is directly connected to the ability to, to hope. And hope is connected to be able to picture it in your mind's eye and your, in your heart, as the Bible says. He says, I, I pray right now that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That the eyes of, that the seer inside of you. See, God gave us two ways to see with our natural eyes and then with our, quote, spiritual eyes while talking about the nation or our faith or our dream or whatever verbiage you want to use. It's all talking about the same thing. In fact, when we started into this series, we looked at Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. And it says, faith, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things we cannot see. It's the, it, it, when you move in faith, it's, I can't see it, but, I, but I, I'm starting to try to picture it, Lord. I'm starting to try to see like you see. And what has to happen for each and every one of us is that we have to be awakened to the dreams of God for the people of God and for the nation that God wants to restore back to himself. In order for hope... For something, you have to imagine it in your mind. If you're going to hope for something, you've got to imagine it in your mind. You remember when you were kids and the Christmas presents would be at the tree, around the tree wrapped? And just by looking at it, you started to imagine what's in the box that size. And he started shaking it. He started thinking, I don't know how they fit a bicycle in that box, but I know it's there. I don't know how they got that puppy in that box that big, but I know it's there. He started imagining that. That literally is one of the facets of faith is to be able to have your hearts, your, your, the, the mind of your heart to open up, to, to, to see what you can't see. That's kind of the jump start place, I would say, for faith. In fact, in that Hebrews 11 passage, it talks about a little guy named Abraham. We consider him the father of faith. Father Abraham had many sons. So, so Abraham is considered the father of faith. Why? Because he saw what he, what, what he wasn't, what, what no one else could see. In fact, Abraham had been given the vision that he was going to be the father of a great nation. But he couldn't have kids. So God tells him, I'm going to do this through you. But in the natural, he can't, he can't see it happening. So at about 90 years of age... Abraham decides, I know God said that. I don't think it's really going to happen. So I've got to start practically preparing for my retirement. So he takes one of his servants because he has no heir, and he begins to prep him to be his heir, to take over his company, to take over his businesses. And God comes to him and says, no, sir, no, sir. And so what he has to do is open up his imagination. So he has to give him an image. So he takes him outside in the darkness, out in the middle of nowhere where they live, and said, look up at the stars. How many do you see? Start counting them, Abraham. He says, sir, I can't count them all exactly. And that's what your people will look like. That's what your children and grandchildren, you will have as many as the stars in the sky. It became a point of imagery that he could believe towards. Sometimes... What you and I lack is the ability to imagine it before we can ever even faith it. We've got to get an image in our mind, in our mind, the heart, the, the, the place within me, the dream place, and see it. And once you start seeing it, then you can start believing and working towards it. 
The reason why I give myself wholeheartedly every day to Jesus Christ is because I see black men, white men, Hispanic men and women and Asian men laying hands on each other and doing miracles. I see Christians that don't just come and sit and listen to a message but say that's a word for me and they actively begin to take up their role as, the, as, as a believer and begin to help other people. The reason why our church is fashioned the way it's fashioned is because I believe that every Christian is a minister. I believe that every believer is supposed to change their world. And so it marks me. So I, so I live differently than other people because what I've seen, I'm, I'm messed up. I'm, once he saw the stars and he said, that's what you have for me. Yes, that's what I'm trying to tell you. Then he had a point of saying, okay, now I, don't, I can't even have kids. My wife can't even, she's old too. How are we going to do this? But the imagery stuck in his brain and he began to imagine thousands of grandkids, tens of thousands, millions, if you will. It's from that place that you and I must grow, and it's today that I want to challenge you in that. So why can't, why you can't imagine what God has for you? Let me teach you a couple things. Here's, here's some thoughts. Why you can't imagine what God has for you? Number one, because of the cares of this world. The Bible talks about the cares of this world choking out the life of God within us. The cares of this world bogged down and just paying the bills. You're just trying to get through life, man. I'm just in survival mode. Listen, preacher, that's all good and all, but I tell you what, when I was a kid, I dreamed of doing something great. But now, listen, I've got, I've got bills, I've got house notes, they're not, I've got creditors knocking on the door all the time, and that's as far as I can see, friend. God's got to set you free from that and open up the eyes of your heart today. That's our prayer. That's my, that's my desire. You've got to get past the cares of this world. Here's the second reason why you can't imagine what God has for you, and that is because you're self-centered. You're self-centered. We see this moment in the book of Genesis where the people who had gone away from God decide that they can find God on their own, in their own strength. And we're going to read this in Genesis 11, verse 6 out of the Amplified. It says, and the Lord said, behold, they are one unified people and they all have the same language. This is only the beginning of what they will do in rebellion against me. And now no evil they imagine uh, excuse me, and now no evil thing they imagine they can do will be impossible for them. He says, listen, they've got in the faith, but it's faith that ain't from me. They've got, they, they understand that coming together and imagining together, they can just about do anything. But the evil has so enthralled them because they're so self-centered about what they want instead of about what I want. And if you keep reading that passage, God literally confuses their language so they can't be unified anymore confuses their language so they can't be unified. Why? Because they were so self-centered. The goal of getting themselves to God so selfish and so self-centered that they didn't want what he wanted, they wanted what they wanted. Here's the third reason many times, if you will, we can't imagine what God has for us, and that's number three, we've lost hope. We've lost hope. Say, Pastor, I used to dream for God. I used to dream big things, but I'll tell you, something's happened over the years. When my first child died, I lost the hope that God really did care about anything other than me just making it through. In fact, it's a miracle that I'm here at church today, Pastor, because honestly, I don't even know if I believe that God cares for me after what all I've been through. And what happens is the enemy will try to get you to lose hope because if I can't hope in God, then I can't faith in God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so steal your hope. Steal that 
that God actually cares. And that's why weeks ago I taught you on how much he cares for you. Presented that to you in scripture. And many times what happens is the enemy will begin to try to steal that hope. And, and, and we've been barren so long. And God wants to open up the eyes of our heart again. He wants to open it up and see how much, so we can see the great things that he has planned for our life. Here's the fourth reason many times this has transpired in our life. And that's because you've forgotten how big your God is. You've just forgotten you just forgotten how big your God is. I want to look at the passage in 2 Kings chapter 6 about Elisha. I'll set the pace for you for just a second. In this passage, in this moment in history, the Israelites are at war with the king of Aram, the Aram, uh, Arameans, if you will. And they have been back and forth fighting with each other. And the king of Aram begins to think that there's a spy in his midst because every time he plans to destroy the people of Israel, somehow they're not at the place where he plans on sneaking up on them. Somehow every time he puts a plan in the place, it gets routed and it's almost like the other team has their offensive playbook. And so he starts preparing to kill everyone in his cabinet because somebody is a spy. And they tell him, sir... It's not us. But over in Israel, they got a prophet. His name is Elisha. And whatever we say in private, he sees from God. And he goes and tells the king of Israel and protects them from all of our advancements. And so the king of Aram says, go get him. Go get that sucker. Stop this whole thing. And so he sends forth his army. And let's pick up in 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse 13. It says, go Find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He's in Dothan, verse 14. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. And they went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God, so when Elijah's assistant got up that morning, got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord! That was the first O-M-L. Uh, what... What shall we do? The servant asked. So see, it's biblical. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you tell your kid, don't say that. That's not right. <laughs> OMG. Uh, verse 16, he says to his servant, don't be afraid. The prophet answered, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. So the prophet says, hey, buddy, what are you worried about? There are more that are with us than those that are with them. And I would imagine that that servant went, so, so what have you been smoking? Have you looked out the window? Okay, there's us, and you got a couple, you know, other, you know, employees. Bro, we are surrounded, and there is an army outside. Like, imagine if they surrounded your neighborhood or even your house with tanks and all the military, all this military force. And he goes, I don't worry about it. More for us than they're for them. He's like, I would imagine it's just this long pause like, what are you talking about? Like, what's wrong with you? Like, what, what are you smoking? Like, bro, you prophets are messed up. I mean, try to be his assistant. And then he continues on. And Elisha prayed, oh, Lord, open what? What eyes is he talking about? He can see naturally. The eyes of his heart. Open up his imagination. Open up his dream spot. Open up the eyes of it. Open up his spiritual eyes so he can see. 
so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes. Look what he saw. And he looked, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire. Dun, 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 All around Elisha. So all of a sudden, this guy's like, are you out of your mind? Elisha goes, Father, Dad, can you open up his eyes so he can see? Open up the eyes of his heart. Open up that place that he can't see. He only sees in the natural. And all of a sudden, poof, his eyes are open, and he sees warring angels and war horses and chariots of fuego all over the place. Can you imagine that guy's like, whoa. Like, this is happening all the time? I've never known this to be the case. And the prophet's like, hmm. Can you imagine? And then the prophet steps out and says to all the armies and all the leaders of the army, be blind. And they all go blind. And he takes them by the hand and he brings them to Samaria to the king of Israel and said, here, I've captured an entire army for you. God bless you. <laughs> I love the Bible. I mean, why do we not live like this? Because the eyes of our heart cannot see how big our God is. You think that bill is so daunting. You think it's the end of your world because you've been single and you're 23 and the life is going to come to an end. You think that because your 16-year-old got in a fender bender, oh my God, we're all going to burn in hell forever. Life is over. And you've forgotten how big your God is. He took the sun and he put it in its place. He told the ocean, stop right here. Don't pass that line. Don't you pass that line. He told the trees, grow when I tell you to grow. Don't grow when I tell you not to grow. He put the stars, he took them out of the palm of his hand. And he, pat, he pushed them out into the expanse. He told the earth where to rotate and how to go around there. That's the God we serve. He causes every bit of life to happen. And you and I are worried that they may not get your paycheck till your own time. You have forgotten how big your God is, and that is why. And can I just help you with something? You need to stop telling your problem. Excuse me, you need to stop telling God how big your problem is and start telling your problem how big your God is. And say, so see, my God is bigger than this. He's got me in the palm of his hand. He'll never leave me or forsake me. Lord, open up my eyes so I can see what I cannot see. Show me what you're doing, what I cannot see. Oh, God, let me imagine how good you are. Let me think on the things that you have planned for me and my family and my children. I may not see it in my lifetime, but my grandkids are going to get it. Show me, Daddy. Let me see what I cannot see so that I can have faith in what no one else has faith in, and that is you and your provision for me. You've got to get to this place where you can imagine again where you can dream again, where you can see again. Oh, nothing more difficult than not being able to see. I can imagine how frustrated Elisha was like, oh, my Jesus. He'd been with me all this time. He still can't see. Lord, open his eyes. Let him see. That's been my prayer for you this weekend. God, open their eyes. Let them see how deep, how wide is your love for them. Let them see that you will never leave them or forsake them. That these are momentary light afflictions. They don't, they just for a moment, look, it'd be over in three minutes, just go ahead. It'd be all right. That you can see with the eyes of your heart, spiritual, dream again. It's time to dream again. It's time to see again. So how do you stretch your imagination? Because that's what needs, you've got to have some kind of faith or you wouldn't be here today. 
but we got to stretch our faith. Everybody say, stretch my faith. Say it again. Say it like that. Say, stretch my faith. So let me teach you how to stretch your faith. Number one, you still there? Say yes. All right, number one, you got to let go of the doubt. You got to let it go. James 1 and 6. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, bone and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. You've got to learn to doubt your doubts and to believe your beliefs. Let me help you a little bit. You got to learn to doubt your doubts and believe your beliefs. Let go of the doubt. So I just, I just, I just can't believe. I just, you know, you don't know what I've been through. I don't. Let go of the doubt. I just, I just can't, you know, just got to understand what I've been through. Yeah, yeah, you keep trying to convince us what you've been through. I keep trying to help you point and see the one who holds you in the palm of his hands. I need you to get your eyes off your doubt and begin to put your eyes on your belief. You call, you're called believers because we believe. We believe that which we cannot see. That's called faith. And that is dangerous to the enemy. That is dangerous. He cannot, he's scared to death. It's my imagination. I'm going to start saying, you know what? I don't see it, but I believe it. I'm going to start imagining it. Lord, stretch my imagination. I'm letting go of the doubt. I'm letting go of the doubt that you're never going to advance me in this job. Lord, I, I don't know how you're going to do it. I'm going to start dreaming about it. I'm going to start thinking about it. Okay, you could kill this. I mean, you could, I mean, you could bless me and put me here. I know how some of you pray, Lord, kill that boss so that I can advance. You start dreaming of them in a car accident. So that's not what we're talking about. That is not the God dream. Because he would that none should perish, but all come to eternal life. So that doesn't work with his, with his dream. But God can remove that that individual who's in the way of his progressing for what he has for you. He can adjust you. He can cause you to live under it with joy when, when no one else is able to. And they say, how do you work for her? How do you work for him? I mean, it's, it's a miracle. But I sure am getting blessed by it, ain't I? I've got all kinds of money coming in because I'm the only one who can work with her. It's amazing what God can do if you and I will just allow him to help us let go of the doubt. You still there? Say yes. There are two things that cause self-doubt. Write these down. They'll help you. Two things that cause self-doubt. Number one, dwelling on your failures. That's why you have self-doubt. Well, last time I tried this, and I went to prophesy to somebody. I felt like it was God. And I said, man, I feel like God wants me to tell you this. And they looked at me like I was crazy and said, that ain't God. So I failed. So I ain't never, I'm never going to try to tell somebody what I hear from God again. And so what's happened is you have self-doubt because you keep dwelling on your failures. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that the great men and women of history did not dwell on their failures? Listen, do you know how many times? Do you know how many times Abraham Lincoln failed in politics? You know how many times he ran and was not elected? Time and time and time again. You need to, stop, you need to start doubting your doubt and believing your beliefs. And that starts with stop dwelling on your failures. Here's the second thing that causes self-doubt, and that is you're comparing your abilities to others. Well, she can do that so good. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Right now, in your church, we have need for people to help us with kids' ministry. We have need. There's spots, little kids that just need somebody to love on them a Sunday here or there. And you're going, well, I'm just, you know what, I just, you know, I, oh, I just, I don't even know how to raise my own kids. And look at them. They, they all seem to, some, listen, we, got, we have need for drummers and bass players. And, and you're like, well, I watch them. They're so good. Oh, you keep comparing yourself with everyone else. And the Bible literally says, the apostle said, we do not compare ourselves with everyone else. Those who do that are foolish. They're not wise. 
Just be you. Be the best you you can be. That's all God asks. And when you start dreaming as the best you you can be, you'll stop worrying about what everybody else is doing. Run your race to the best of your ability. Listen, if I listen to T.D. Jakes too much, I'm going to start thinking I'm a loser. I ain't ever preaching again. I quit my life. But that's his gift. I'm going to work in my gift. Stop comparing yourself and your abilities to everyone else's abilities. So how to stretch your imagination. Number one, let go of doubt. Number two, you still there? Say yes. Look for a promise. You want to stretch your, your, your imagination? Look for a promise. Do you know there are over 7,000 promises in the scriptures for you? 7,000 promises that he gives to his, to his people. To his people. And we get, we've been grafted in. Come on, believer. We get to be, we've been grafted in. So I'm not a Jew. That, that was Old Testament. That's for the Jews. We've been grafted in as his sons and daughters. Those promises apply to us. Oh, I don't know promises like you're the head, not the tail, above and not beneath. You're going to be the lender and not the borrower. I don't know promises like this, that by my stripes you were healed. I don't know, you know, promises that you need to go get a hold to and say, you know what, I'm getting a hold of this promise. I'm holding on to this promise. I'm going to look for that promise. I'm going to hold on to this promise, and I'm not going to let go until it happens. And you start dreaming about how that promise can work in your life. I'm going to be the head, not the tail. I'm tired of always having to borrow money from my cousin and from my grandmother. Are they going to be borrowing money from me? Because God's going to, and you start imagining, I'm going to work a job like this. I'm going to do this with that money. That money's going to advance over here. God's going to bring this into my life. And you start dreaming it and start imagining God's going to start letting it come to pass. Why? Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And one of the facets of faith is imagination, the eyes of your heart. Lord, I pray that the eyes of their heart would be open so they can see what you have for them, the plans that you have for them. That was our opening passage. Look for a promise. Here's a third thing that I would teach you today, and that is get in the vision. Get in the vision. God has a vision for our church, for our community of believers. This building is not the church. This meeting is not the church. We're the church. And we have a vision. We have a vision that black men, white men, Hispanic men, Asian men, women would minister to one another, that we would stand against the tide of disunity that's in our nation. We have a vision that each and every one of us have a part to play in ministering to others. It may be a small part, a big part, doesn't matter, your part. Get in that vision with us. Get in the vision where you connect with a small group with us. We don't do small groups because we have nothing better to do. I have found in Scripture a truth, and that is when you and I come together as believers, there's power in that engagement. We called it a small group because we didn't know what else to call it. We could have called it squads, pods, whatever you want to call it, life groups, all these things. We're not doing what everybody else is doing. We just want you to have Christian friends. We want you to have other believers in your life that do life with you, that take spiritual responsibility for you, and you take them for others. And we want to see our lost friends and dying coworkers that are on their way to hell come to know Christ through the love and the passion that we have. And they say, I want what you got because I'm so jealous of a life that works in my life. All the drinking hadn't fixed it. All the running around on my wife hadn't fixed it. I want what you got because your kids look at you with confidence. Your kids look with you with respect and my kids don't even, want to, don't even want to be around me. These are the visions that God has put into this church. They're visions to change this nation, to change this metroplex, to change this city, to change our world. Get in the vision with us. Connect with us. Let's go do it together. God wants to open up your imagination. The eyes of your heart. 
Imagination is the, one of the great facets of faith. In fact, let me just give you a couple quotes from some very famous folks on what they think about imagination. Look what they said. Number one, Albert Einstein, Albert Einstein said, imagination is more important than knowledge. Knowledge is limited. Imagination encircles the world. This little guy knew a little bit about imagination. Disneyland will never be complete. It will continue to grow as long as there is imagination left in the world. Church on the Hill will continue to grow as long as there is imagination within its members. And then little old George Lucas said it like this. You can't do it unless you imagine it. I love Star Wars. When I watch Star Wars, I start thinking about, wow, one day I'll have my own spaceship. And I'll meet some little dude with a green skin. That'll be awesome. No, I'm sure it's not out there because God would have told me if there were other people out there that I could go meet. Anyway, he may have other planets that I one day can go hang out with those guys. Imagination is one of the most beautiful facets of faith. Faith is multifaceted. In this series, our goal is to teach you about the different facets of faith, to expand you, to stretch you, to prod you into dangerous faith. It's time that the church, us, you, me, stop living scared of what everyone thinks, worried about what's going to happen tomorrow, trust our God, follow him with all of our heart, walk in faith, dangerous faith, push back the enemy's plans, and change the world together. And today, God wants to expand strengthen, stretch our imagination. He wants to open the eyes of our heart. I want you to stand with me quickly across the room. Put your Bibles down, notebooks, your wife, whatever. Set them down. Right there where you stand, I want you to close your eyes. I get you to do that to create a safe place where you can concentrate. I want you to have a place where you can imagine, a place where you can hear God's voice. Your eyes closed, your head bowed, right where you're at. Let this word sink deep into your heart. And I want you to ask the Lord right now to awaken the eyes of your heart. What you cannot see. You have to confess that were you that servant of Elijah's? Were you his assistant? The moment he said, hey, there are more for us than those that are against us. How many times have you said that recently? Oh, it's okay. There's more for us than against us. Or how many times have you said, we're surrounded. It's not going to work. What have we done? We made them mad. Oh, no. Friend, I want you to know that God wants to open the eyes of your heart right now so that you can see. You can see. Dr. King proclaimed what he saw. He said, I went up on the mountain. I saw it. I saw it. So I saw the glory of the Lord manifesting himself over these United States. I saw a change coming. He said, I may not see it in my lifetime, but I saw that it's going to happen. I'm carrying out part of his vision. Because I saw a church that wasn't all white people or all black people or all Hispanic people or all young people or all old people. I saw it and I live my life every day to see that dream come to pass. I can see it. I can taste it. I can can sense it. Every time I see you post from your small group, and there's 
a black lady and a white lady sitting across from each other, drinking, and every time praying with each other. Oh, I see it coming to pass. And every time a person who, who's just been a churchgoer in the past rises up and starts loving on other people and being welcoming and nice and starts reading their Bible and starts helping other people see how God loves them, it's coming to pass. I can see it. God needs to awaken us. And right where you stand, asking to awaken the eyes of your heart. Where have you stopped imagining God's goodness? Where can you not picture that he cares a fly and flip? Where have you struggled to believe that God is for you and not against you? Where have you lost the ability to imagine his goodness in that scenario? Lord, open the eyes of our heart. Right there where you stand, would you just pray this? Say, Lord, open the eyes of my heart. Open it up. Stretch me. I want to see what you see. And then while you're on that same thought process, I want you to repent. Repent to God right where you stand. Repent for seeing him as so small. You've limited him. I want you to repent right where you're at. Say, Lord, forgive me. I've limited you. That's why some of you are critical and judgmental. Because you've limited his ability. And that fear has driven you to make excuses. I want you right where you stand, repent, say, Lord, I'm, I'm so sorry. I've not seen you as the great God that you are, the great God that can use little old me, the great God who can fix my little bitty old problems that I think are so big. Right there, I want you to, and I want you to dream again that the big God of heaven and earth has big plans. Don't make them ethereal plans, tomorrow plans, tonight plans. Can you, can you picture, you could put one post on your Facebook that causes an entire movement. You could say one thing, you could picture, you could could be riding down the highway today and a terrible car accident happened and someone was thrown from the car and pronounced dead and you walk up right as they're about to take that person into into the hearse and you walk over and say, can I just take a moment and you pray for them and they come back to life and someone is standing there with their iPhone and posts that, do you know what would happen? You would be on every talk show. Every morning broadcast would be trying to get your opinion on how God is moving in the earth today. You have no idea how big your God is and how quickly things can transition into the supernatural. Open their eyes, Lord. Let them see that there are more for us than those that are against us. Here and now, Lord God, do a work in our church. Do a work in me, oh God. I repent for limiting you to little small thinking and small vision. God, let us dream again. Let us believe again. Let us give our life to something bigger than just going to work and making an income source for our family. Let us dream bigger. Let us see what you see so we can walk in the same confidence that Elijah wasn't even worried, wasn't even sweating. Lord God, we want to be able to trust you to that level. We want dangerous faith, oh God. Help us here and now. Would you reach over and grab the hand of that person next to you just for a second? We're okay on time, I promise you. I cut this message short so we could have these moments. Now, I want you to pray for that person on either side of you. Say, Lord, awaken. Awaken the eyes of their heart. Pray for them. Take a moment. God, I'm asking you to step in faith. You say, I don't, I don't pray out loud. That's okay. Time to take a baby step towards your calling. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name that men and women right now will begin to see see what they have not been able to see. Oh God, oh God, 
Let the doubt be doubted today. <laughs> Jesus, take the limitations off of their imagination. Give them the God imagination to dream, to see again, and mark their life like they've never been marked ever before. In Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for just a moment. You can let go of the hand of that person next to you. Maybe you would say here today, Pastor, if I were honest, I'm not a Christian. Pastor, if I died today, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't go to heaven. If, if, if that's how you feel, if that's what you know, then can I just say this to you? Thank you. Thank you for being honest with yourself. Thank you for coming here with us today. Yeah, I mean, you weren't surprised. You didn't think this was a, you didn't think this was a dance club or something. You came here knowing good and well that this was a church and that we were going to celebrate the living God. So that means something in your heart wants God. Maybe you say, Pastor, I used to serve God, but I, I'll be honest with you, I've walked away. I'm separated. I'm divorced from God. Friend, I got such good news for you. If you've never been a Christian, or you used to be and you walked away, can I tell you what he says? And believe in your heart clearly that if you'll repent, if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, that he will forgive you. He'll forgive you. I know your ex-wife didn't forgive you, but he will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He'll do the cleansing. You don't have to do it. He'll do it. Isn't that beautiful? Man, that sounds so easy. I know, right? All the hard work was done 2,000 years ago. Jesus did it because we couldn't do it. He died on a cross when every drop of blood, every lash on his back, every nail into his body was proof of his love for you. And it paid for every sin you and I would ever commit. So today, the way you access that forgiveness is to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. With no one looking around, no one moving, please. If you're away from God or you want to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, would you let me pray with you? I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not trying to humiliate you. But you need to make a decision today. Indecision is a decision. You need to make a decision. If you want God, I'd like to lead you in a prayer, a prayer of repentance, a prayer of dedication, a prayer of confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart. If that's you, you say, Pastor, you're talking to me. I'm ready to get right with God. I don't want to live like this anymore. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up? No one's looking. Just me, you, and heaven. God bless you. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thanks for your honesty. Anybody else? Pastor, pray for me. It's time. Yes, sir. Amen. Thank you for, thank you for your honesty. Thank you so much. God bless you. Put your hands down. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Prayer of repentance. This prayer doesn't, the words aren't, the words aren't magical. What's supernatural is God started pulling on your heart and saying, let's go, I want you. And you said, okay, I want you too. And this prayer is like sealing. It's like when you sign that marriage license, you seal to, to be committed to that relationship. And that's what this prayer is. And I want to seal you to that relationship with the living God. In fact, I'd like everyone in the audience to pray out loud alongside those who lifted their hands. Let's pray it together. Those who lifted your hand, mean it with all of your heart. Say it like this. Say, Jesus, today... I admit, I'm a sinner, and I've sinned against you, but I ask you now to forgive me. Wash me clean of all of my sin. I confess you as my Lord and Savior. Write my name 
in your book of life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I'm yours forever. I'll say it again. I'm yours forever. All my days, I will love you in Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for just a moment, please. Father, I pray for those who lifted their hand, who prayed that prayer from the depths of their heart. They said, you know what? I need God, man. I need him. They were honest. Father, I pray right now that they would feel and sense the peace, peace that comes from being right with you. Lord, you've removed the elephant from the room. <laughs> There's no elephant in the room. They don't have to be scared of the conversation anymore. Lord, I pray, Lord, that when they, as they walk out today, they hold their, hold their head up, pull their shoulders back and say, you know what? I may not be perfect, but I'm forgiven. <laughs> and you know what? I may even slip and fall this week. But I'm a son. I'm a daughter of the Most High God. I confessed him as my Savior, and he is mine, and I am his. God, I pray right now those truths. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for joy, a fresh joy like never before, and a confidence that you will get them through every trial that comes their way. And every mistake they've made, you'll help them clean it up supernaturally. We call these things as so in Jesus' name.